Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Milwaukee, start your engines. It's time to talk about all things racing. NASCAR, IndyCar, sports cars, and Formula One. This is the Final Inspection Show, presented by the legendary Great Lakes Dragway in Union Grove. Now, here's your host, Steve Zaki. And welcome back to the Final Inspection Show, brought to you, yes, by the legendary Great Lakes Dragway. Looking forward to getting out to Great Lakes Dragway soon in the next few weeks here. And joining us on the Great Midwest Bank Hotline, it is from OilPressure.com and his Oil Pressure blog, one of the best on IndyCar racing. It is George Phillips. Welcome to the show, sir. Steve, how are you? I'm doing fantastic. Uh, spring is in the air, and uh, it, there's uh, some racing withdrawal going on in the world, as, uh, of course, you and I would, uh, this weekend, would be down at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. But judging from the weather, maybe that's a good thing. Huh? <laughs> yeah, I, I looked last night. I think the temperature today, the high there today, was supposed to be 55. So uh, yeah, you know, we we've been to a few of those cold Grand Prix. Yes. Before. Yeah, especially on uh, in the old in the old school days uh, back in the uh, you know 80s, 90s, and whatnot. Uh, that opening uh, day of qualifying could have been uh, could be very chilly, couldn't it have been? When I look back at um, my elementary school years of going to Indianapolis for a pole day, uh, mostly what I think about are gray and cold skies, uh, cold weather. Gray skies, cold weather. Yeah. Yeah, it certainly has been. And, uh, of course, it uh, looks like IndyCar Racing will be returning at, at Texas uh, Speedway on June 6th, and we're certainly uh, glad for that. It's going to be a little different, though with uh, no fans, and uh, Roger Penske uh, had to do some wheeling and dealing with Eddie Gossage, didn't he? Yeah, and I I have not heard what transactions took, or lack of a transaction took place. Uh, I don't know if the, the uh, sanctioning fee was waived. Uh, I would imagine it was certainly reduced, but I'm glad that whatever happened, happened. I know some people are, A, upset that they're racing at all, B, they're upset that they're racing with no fans. I, I was kind of surprised uh, right after it was announced, I saw on social media how people said that uh, IndyCar doesn't care about fans. I mean, to me, that's preposterous. Uh, yeah. In this in this environment, uh, take what you can get. 
Well, I think you know we're you know we're mentioning uh, you know we had some sprint car racing in Iowa uh, yesterday, and we have NASCAR returning uh, with their series in Charlie and Darlington, and this is a way for them to kind of stick their toe in the water, isn't it? Whereas we still don't have baseball, we don't have uh, basketball, never completed its series uh, season as of yet. And it remains to see where, you know, it looks like the NFL will be starting on time, but that really remains to be seen. It's it's a schedule that's kind of written in pencil and has built-in uh, flexibility. So, uh, yeah, I, I'm really kind of surprised by that. Yeah, but um, personally, I'm I'm very glad they're they're doing this for a number of reasons. Plus, I think just the, the country needs this, not for sports, but uh, as you say, to put their toe in the water because if you don't, take a step forward and try something, you don't know what's going to work and what's not. I mean, um, this could have disaster consequences. I don't think so. Quite honestly, um, the virus is uh, really the third thing that I'm worried about for for that weekend. Um, I got a couple of uh, other safety concerns. Um, I'm concerned that you do have um, a few rookies going into the season that their very first exposure to live IndyCar racing is going to be at Texas, which can be, um, it can be challenging. And the fact that they're doing as a one day turnaround or one day show practice in the morning, qualify in the afternoon, race at night or whatever the time schedule is, it's going to be a one day, a one day deal. And I understand the reasoning but still, I think it's unfortunate if you're going to do one day show that it is at Texas because that that can be treacherous. And and another concern I have besides the rookies or even the veterans shaking off rust, um, the the aero screens. Uh, keep in mind this is the the first race for this aero screen, and I've kind of heard some things sort of behind the scenes that even as we speak, they're still working out ways to get better ventilation into the cockpit these cars and um, that's going to have some aerodynamic consequences that will really not be tried on a live track so I think there's a lot of more unknowns going into this season over than any other I can ever think of oh I totally agree yeah there there's always been you know I was not a fan uh, of and I, and I still will say this I'm not a fan of the aero screens and of course there's been I was surprised by the lockstep everybody fell in the line on both sides whether it's racing on the on the racing side the the sanctioning body side and the full-time media side on that well this is the greatest thing ever we need to do this i understand the reasonings on that uh but then again i i also remember and hearing it firsthand from drivers when i was a kid and that and I, i i don't think they were valid but certainly there's those who who is regarding sprint car racing when they added roll roll cages one of the one of the criticisms is that it's going to make a lot of uh drivers braver and put themselves in situations and then you saw that with the when they came up in 2012 with the dw12 and putting defenders on that well having that protection on the rear wheels well maybe i can be a little bit braver and we saw that, and it 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 helped, but it wasn't uh, it wasn't the best. And they made changes from that original design. So I'm I guess I guess my my main criticism 
is I don't want that arrow screen to be used as a, an excuse to make a move on a track where a driver should not have made a move. I guess is what I'm trying to say. What do you think about that? Yeah, and and, and that's that's even another valid point that um, uh, I hadn't I hadn't thought of that angle. But uh, I just think that, uh, and I'm like you. I was not in favor of this. Um, uh, I'm I will admit with the with the racing that we watched, it sort of if it served no other purpose, it sort of got us used to looking at those cars with these windscreens, arrow screens, but. Um, I, like you, I'm, I'm surprised at the at the lockstep, and that's a good term for it because I'm also hearing privately that the drivers are very concerned about the heat in the cockpit, but they've been told not to say anything. So, mm-hmm. um, and the fact that no drivers are saying anything negative about it tells you that they've been instructed not to. Yeah, and uh, you know, I, I was there, and I I, th- I I believe you were at Indianapolis last year when they announced it. And yeah. everybody was like, okay, oh, oh, yes. And I'm like, oh, boy. And I remember Johnny, and I mentioned this on, on an earlier show. I remember Johnny Rutherford, you know, who everybody respects. And he's like, well, what happens when you're coming down the speedway to Indianapolis Motor Speedway? Somebody loses an engine. And your screen is, you can't see. And you're going into turn one. And nobody had an answer for that. I'm like, Okay, <laughs> we'll see what happens. You know, so, uh, you know, I, I, it'll be remains to see what happens. And like I said, I, I, you can't. Now that's true with with an open cockpit. You know, your your helmet can be obscured with stuff too, but you can hit that tear off a lot quicker. And I understand the windscreens are have going to have tear offs too, but I just don't want people. I guess what I'm trying to say is this is not the all fix all panacea that everybody thinks it is. I agree. And I think that, of course you and I are both old school, but I do, I do think that this is going to, and we may find this out in a month that there are going to be some unintended consequences. I think they tried to think through certain scenarios, but until certain, until they're faced with live, uh, bullets on the racetrack, so to speak, they're not going to think of everything. And then suddenly we're going to be faced with something that I hope does not have dire consequences. Yeah. And I was, all, I mean, safety. I was all for the initial, which turned out to be the mount for it. But with the initial, uh, um, I guess, what do you want to kick, kick up, whatever you want to call it, that they, that they put on in the center line in front of the cockpit which was was a way to kick up debris in that. I was all for that. And but the bottom line for me, old school guy here is it it's, it's open cockpit racing. And and for those that are not comfortable with it, and I've heard drivers say this, uh and you know if you don't want to race it, then race IMSA. Yeah. Uh, so <clears throat> it's it's I just, I, as I say, I just hope there aren't a lot of unintended consequences that have uh, bad results. Yeah. Um, talking with uh, George Phillips on the Great Midwest Bank Hotline here, and you know what? This is this is a, a situation where, darn it, I was going to do it, and I just got distracted. <laughs> Talk us through your your uh, 
uh, two heads are better than one column. And this was a kind of a cool thing that, that, that Charlie Kimball did. And uh, kind of walk us through how what 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 I'm talking about. Okay, um, I guess it was last week. I had seen on social media that Charlie Kimball was going to be hosting, or at least the way I gathered that he would be hosting this trivia contest. But the more I saw it, it's like, okay, well, there's, it's got a lot of credibility to it. AJ Foy's going to be reading the question. Mario Andretti will. Ari Leyendijk will. Donald Davidson has vetted all these questions, and they were going to cap it at 500 teams. Um, and I was thinking, wow, I like trivia, but I'm, uh, I'll be embarrassed if I enter this thing. Well, my good friend and, and, and your good friend, Paul Dalby, um, he texted me saying we need to enter this thing. So he, I said no initially. He called me that night, and so I reluctantly agreed. And um, it was really an, a, a neat thing. Um, turns out it was actually hosted by, I, I felt naive because I'd never heard of him, but Matt Hammond, and this is Hambone Trivia, which I think this is all he does now. He's a former attorney, but he's apparently made a killing off of this HambonTrivia.com. And so he was actually hosting this, and Charlie was sort of providing guest commentary. And uh, But they just, it was, uh, they read a bunch of questions per round, and they didn't print them up, and, and if you weren't jotting them down, um, you were lost. But anyway, Paul and I were on FaceTime together with each other as this was on a private YouTube channel. Long story short, we didn't really know where we stood. We knew we were getting, they would read the answers of each round, but we didn't know where we stood. We knew we had only lost, excuse me, missed one question, but we didn't know how anybody else did. Turns out, long story short, we won the thing. Um, finished number one in points. So uh, it was fun. It was it was a good time. There were tough questions. Um, I, my wheelhouse is more 40s, 50s, 60s, and 70s, and Paul's is more 80s forward. Uh, we're both good from about 1990 on, but I'm really weak in the mid mid to late 70s and, and early 80s. Well, that's his wheelhouse, and that's where most of the questions were. So he really knew more of the questions than I did. I, I gave him a couple of answers, but uh, it was a good collaborative effort, and, hell, we ended up winning the thing. Sounded like fun, and, it, yeah, that's something that, you know, I, I always wanted to be on Who Wants to Be a Millionaire, not necessarily for for what, what you know, how I would have done on the show, but I, I thought I always had the perfect, um, uh, what was that, uh, Lifeline people. And yeah. I, had, I, I figured I had five people. You could have put five people in there. And I thought I had such a darn good uh, lifeline of people who knew a wide variety of stuff. I had a sports guy. I had a kind of a classic literature kind of opera type guy I had in in, in, in mind and, and so forth. And, and I had five guys I thought that would really be that could nail that could really help me out and i figured with that backing you know i thought i could always d- done would have done well on it and yeah i think this worked out for you guys because yeah perfect you know you kind of had a good spectrum across the line and and the results certainly showed that so yeah that's pretty and the cool good, the good the, and the good thing was you did have plenty of time it would just rapid fire read off all these questions It'd be five or six questions per round but then they would give you like eight minutes 
to to uh, answer things. And they, of course, they said, "Don't cheat." And to be honest, we did not cheat, um, but we both would say, "Yeah, I know that's that's right." And and uh, we would work, we would um, you know work with each other. And and between the two of us, one of us would be certain of an answer. And the one that we missed. Um, actually, we were <laughs> we were certain of that one, but uh, it was um, we were both wrong. What was the one question you guys uh, that you got that you got that you didn't think that was going to come up that you nailed? Oh gosh, you mean? I, or just think of the, one that kind of surprised I knew that. I can't. I, it's been a week. I, I can't even think back to yesterday. <laughs> um, let me let me think just for a second. Um, well, uh, I can tell you the one that we missed. We it was a four parter. We missed we missed one. But I think um, that was late rate passes, either lap one ninety nine or lap two hundred. Oh, yeah. For and uh, it's been done four times in the twenty first century. Name the four years and the drivers who did it. And we both felt comfortable saying Ryan Ryan Hunter Ray did it in fourteen. He did not. He passed Elio. On lap one ninety seven for the lap for the final time. Yeah, you know, and, and I go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, I'm trying to think what the I can't even think now what the what the real answer was. Well, here it um, is. I'll just read it. I'll read it for you. And what's what what I'm kind of glad you brought this up because I was in the same boat. I was I totally forgot about this. Uh, it's a four part question. Round three in the 21st century, there had been four Indianapolis 500s decided on the pass on either lap 199 or 200, and who made those passes? What year? And you wrote uh, Paul and I came up with Weldon in 2011, and Paul was the first to remember Pagenaud in 2019, and then I was the first to say Hornish in 2006. But we were stuck in the fourth oh, yeah. one. We we both agreed it it it, it must have been Ryan Hunter Ray. Uh, with his battle at uh, Castro Neves in 2014, we were wrong. It was Dario Franchitti passing teammate Scott Dixon at the beginning of lap uh, 199 with Takuma Sato following uh, Franchitti. I had forgotten that one, too. I had, too, because you always think of that as just being a battle between Franchitti and, and Sato. And right. I had kind of forgotten that, that Dixon had been passed. Yep, and I yeah, it, it's you know, and uh, Donald Davidson, of course, the dean of Indianapolis 500 uh, trivia and just everything. Uh, he always says that it's numerous stuff that can trick that can trip you up. And as George and I, George, as you just demonstrated, and I, I'm I'm a victim of it by missing by forgetting about it. A short-term memory is certainly something that we when we if we could improve one thing, I think that would be it, isn't it? <laughs> That's it, uh, and and just like Donald Davidson said, he can go back to the 1920s, but he can't fully tell you what happened in 2019. Yeah, it throws you off. Yeah, it certainly does, and me too. I mean, that if I would say my Achilles heel on 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 racing trivia would be 20 probably 2010 on the last 10 years, and and it's the stuff from uh, you know, or the stuff that you remember that you wish you couldn't remember. You know, know. like, uh, like, like, uh, uh, I just mentioned this last week was who is David Letterman's favorite driver. Do you remember that one? Uh, Bud Tinglestad. That's it. (laughs) 
<laughs> now, that's not going to help us in any way financially or anything else, George, but we both knew it is. <laughs> it, 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 I don't know what that says about either one of us, but uh, it, might, it might win us uh, a free beer in a bar. <laughs> uh, getting back to uh, IndyCar and, and uh, the question I forgot to tell you, I asked you earlier uh, regarding the June 6th with Texas, Eddie Gossage, Roger Penske. How much better is IndyCar in this, I guess, crisis, if you want to call it, with everything? And, it, you know, it is certainly. Uh, uh, hurt the IndyCar series, but how much better are we off having Roger Penske uh, ahead of IndyCar right now? I I don't even think I don't even want to think about it. To be honest with you, because and not to disparage the Home and George family, but right. I just don't think that they had the uh, resources, or if they had the resources, I'm not sure they would have committed the resources to keep the series afloat during this. Uh, it was just, I, I, I think it was a godsend that uh, things worked out the way they did because I think that Roger Pence, I, first of all, I, I still think um, some pretty miraculous deal was cut for Eddie Kaiser to agree to run this race. Um, so I, I don't know if Roger Pinsky paid out of his pocket or if he just you know, just said, go ahead and pay it, and we'll make it up later, or what? But, uh, I mean, or, you know, for IndyCar to, to cover the sanctioning fee, I don't know. I, I have not heard anything that went on, but I think that had Roger Penske not been at the head of things now, I'm not sure that June 6th would happen. George, I certainly appreciate you taking time out and joining the Final Inspection Show, and uh, how may we find your stuff online? It's very easy, just oilpressure.com. Uh, I post three times a week and have been through the off season and uh, even throughout this pandemic. Um, normally, I post every day during the month of May. Uh, not doing that this year, and I've been I've been doing this now for over eleven years. And uh, but uh, and I doubt that I'm going to be posting every day in the month of August. But uh, this will be a little a little bit interesting month of August. But. Uh, just like everything, we're going to get through it, and I think it'll be okay. And I and I do think it will run with fans. All right, very good. I I agree with you, and looking forward to it. Uh, I'm not. I'm surprising. I'm not going through the May withdrawals as uh, I thought I would, and if, unfortunately, I'm seeing a lot of people going through that uh, on, on Facebook and other social medias. But as I as I've been telling my buddy, uh, they really need to get a life. <laughs> There's a lot of other stuff yeah, out there, so uh, just deal with it, and yeah. August is going to be fun. Yeah, I, I think you're right now. I, I, I will say Memorial Day itself will feel weird because I'll be sitting yes. at home. Right. That, 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 that's probably where it's going to hit home, but, uh, you know, you got to think about, you know, August is going to be fun, and we'll, we'll just go from there. So, uh, George, thank you for taking time out today and uh, looking forward to it. We will chat with you again probably sooner than you think. Thank you, Steve. Enjoyed it as always. All right. That was George Phillips on the Great Midwest Bank Hotline. Has your passion outgrown your home? A Great Midwest Bank home renovation loan may give you the space it deserves. Visit greatmidwestbank.com today. Simply local lending since 1935. Voted by the fans as their favorite segment. Coming up next, three questions with Larry. Next on the Final Inspection Show. This 
is Final Inspection with Steve Zockey. Presented by the legendary Great Lakes Dragaway in Union Grove. On 105.7 FM, The Fan. Welcome back to the Final Inspection Show. Steve Zaki and joining us on the Great Midwest Bank Hotline. It is Larry Janicek. Welcome to the show again, Larry. Thanks, Steve. Hope things are going well with you. No complaints on my end. And uh, like I said, sun's, sun is out, but the patio door is shut. And uh, <laughs> lots of birds at uh, Cafe Zatki today. All right. Take care of those little critters. Yeah, well. Big news on the birding front: the rose-breasted grosbeaks have arrived. So, uh, yeah, so they're uh, dining in at uh, Cafe Zatki along with the cardinals, red-winged blackbirds, a plenty, uh, doves, sparrows, and uh, oh, and the white-throated uh, sparrows are here too. Well, you got a real menagerie there, buddy. And spring and the uh, spring is approaching because the the the. The junkles have moved north, so <laughs> those are the little gray what? snowbirds, as people like to call them. All right, I'd like to start. Uh, Larry, what do you got today? I'd like to start out with a little bit of a twist today, Steve. Uh, last week, uh, you talked about uh, as part of an answer to a question the depth of the 1967 Indy 500 starting field. And I just like I was really enthralled with that, and I went to one of my uh, uh, one of the top choices for history of Indianapolis. It's the Indianapolis 500 Chronicle by Rick Popley and El Spencer yeah. Riggs. And I would just like to take a minute or two to go through this to to just reaffirm how uh, right on the money you were. So I'm going to read off 16 names that were in the. At 500, 1967, A.J. Foyt, Al Unser, Joe Leonard, Dennis Hume, Cornelli Jones, Bobby Unser, Gordon Johncock, Cale Yarborough, Jackie Stewart, Roger McCluskey, Dan Gurney, Jochen Rint, Johnny Rutherford, Mario Andretti, Graham Hill, and Jim Clark. That's just one short of half of the starting field. That's 16 people. Now, through the uh, end of their career, those 16 drivers accounted for 20 Indy 500 wins, 19 IndyCar Champ Car Championships, nine Formula One Championships, two Can-Am Championships, three NASCAR Winston Cup Championships, and three overall wins at Le Mans. Like that, I mean, you are so straight on the money on that. That is just unbelievable what those 16 drivers accomplished in their careers. Yeah, and that's it's not only um, not only you know for the race itself, but also for the just the month of May and the drivers uh, that tried to make didn't make a race too because it, it's not only was it the amount of uh you know the amount of uh, talent in in the field it, itself but also it's probably one of the most uh uh fought for in regards to making a race where you had of course like a fan favorites uh 
Jim Herderby's, uh that was the first year of the Mallard, uh, who got bumped out in 67, along with the Ebba Rose, who drove the second Mallard, who got, who unfortunately crashed earlier. But also a lot of the drivers that, that didn't make the race, uh, uh, notable ones, of course, uh, Lorenzo Bandini, uh, unfortunately, was killed at Monaco. But uh, Lucian Bianchi was was uh, tried to make the race. Uh, guys like uh, Richie Ginther, Maston Gregory, who were very notable road racers. Um, and then you had other other drivers too, Pedro Rodriguez, uh, the, the the probably one of the best Mexican drivers. Ever to race, unfortunately, he didn't make it. And then he had, uh, you know, fan favorites, uh, older drivers. Uh, yeah, I think it was Chuck Stevenson. That might have been his last year who raced, uh, who tried to uh, make the race that year. Unfortunately, did not. And uh, just, you know, just a slew of drivers. Uh, Johnny Boyd was another one who who didn't make the race. Chris Amon, uh, another form probably one of the better Formula One drivers, never to win a world championship. Uh, and, uh, uh, and did not make the race that year too. So yeah, just 67 was just a, uh, fantastic coming together of formula one drivers, the traditional route at that time through USAC and the dirt, uh, dirt, uh, dirt tracks at that time and, and stock car drivers too, such as, uh. You know, like like you mentioned with uh, Kelly Yarbrough and Leroy Yarbrough, and who were not brothers, of course. And and then you had you know the fan favorites. You had your Ralph Liguris and Bruce Jacobis and those drivers that that who never made the race and are are more notable uh, and maybe more famous for not making the race than uh, making it. So yeah, '67 was a. Uh, just for for IndyCar fans, if they're interested in 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 the history of the 500, I think it's just chocked full of people. And I'm not the only one that said it. Donald Davidson, uh, the historian of the Indianapolis 500 and mm-hmm. Motor Speedway, uh, says that too. Okay, now my next. What do you got, Alex? Actual first question also uh, comes from that same uh, book. Uh, who was the first ever? Indy 500 defending race winner who failed to qualify the next year. And I, and I just want to uh, state that this would be the race winner who actually did try to qualify, not uh, not counting a race winner that got hurt and couldn't race the next year. It was actually the first time the race winner attempting to qualify did not make the Indy 500. Yeah, because there's uh, you know guys that didn't make it, like of course George, Joe Boyer, who who got killed the following year, and um, Troy Rutman got hurt, of course, in '50, mm-hmm. uh, was not making. Pat Flaherty, those guys because of injuries, but uh, not making it. I mean, the one that I can think of, and I'm not sure if this is right, would be Roger Warden, '65. Is that right? No, because he I was don't think not it is, but that's what I'm thinking. Winner, you want you want to oh, defending champion. Yeah, uh, yeah. Give me. I'm going to need a hint on this one. Yeah, pardon me. Defending. Uh, you defending want a hint? Winner. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Doctor Kavorkian. Doctor Kavorkian. 
It was the year that uh, uh, I understand that uh, over the PA system, the call came out for Dr. Kevorkian to report oh, to the Penske well, garages. Oh, well, then it has to be, well, then, yeah, it has to be 94, yeah, 90, uh, 94 then. No, nope. it was uh, ni- yeah. 90, 95. Or 95, and, yeah, 95. Yeah, 95. Yeah. I don't know if okay, that ever then, uh, well, or I'm going to Yeah. Well, I, I will I will tell you what. Um I will I'll make a plug for my buddy Jade Gers who I've had on the show in his book A Beast which mm-hmm. chronicles the 94 race and right. and how the push rod engine was was kept under wraps and it was one of the last great secrets in 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 motorsports. So if you if you get a chance Go to Amazon or, or wherever your local bookstore or even used bookstore. Uh, look that up. Uh, Beast by Jade Gerst. Uh, Gerst, G-U-R-S-S. Uh, fantastic book. Chronicles the whole 94 season. And also kind of lays the fat what happened then the following year, 95, and how the the that chassis in 94 had some misgivings but had such a power advantage over the, the field that they were able to kind of hide those uh, hide those uh, issues, and those came to fruition the following year then in 95, or that they just could not get that car to handle. And I thought Donald, I mentioned Donald Davidson. He brought this up. Uh, we were chatting about it, and he, I think he brought it up on that talk of Gasoline Alley, which uh, just started last Thursday, um, that Penske wasn't, Never had experience had experienced that. Penske, when when all the times they were at the speedway, always qualified the first weekend and never really had issues besides trying to get you know the Mario in when he couldn't race because he was doing his F1 commitments. But they never been in that position where uh, we're about to get bumped. How do we handle this? And for them, it was kind of a, a new. They didn't know the strategy, what they needed to do. And there was a uh, cocksureness of them where they didn't. They were offered help, and they said, "Well, we don't need help. We'll, we'll, we'll take care of this." And then by by the time they were taking help, it was too late, and they they never were able to to get in the yeah, race. I, so. I promise to answer the next question quicker. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Well, they brought in uh, the from Rayho. Yeah, the the, the Rayho chassis, which were were a sponsor, the corporate uh, partner. So. In 1986, when Rick Hendrick went from a one-car NASCAR Cup team with Jeff Bodine to a full-season two-car team, who drove the second car? In what year? And that was in 1986 is when he went to a two-car team. He had Jeff Bodine and he had one uh, That would have been Tim Richmond. Would, would exactly that be Tim right. Richmond? Exactly okay. right. All right, next question, because we're getting behind here in time. Here we got Eddie Lapine coming up next. Okay, no problem. Uh, this is a local one. Have you heard any scuttlebutt of, of concerning the June, mid-June stock car race at the Milwaukee Mile? I have not, and uh, I think everybody's trying. Let's face it. That's not a national uh, race. There's no TV involved. So they, from that point of view, they have some flexibility in. And the other thing is, let's face it, it's kind of a walk-up crowd. So it's one of those situations where, you know, people are going to plan to go to it or maybe, you know, they start 
you know, filling in what they're going to do on their weekends. With with everything that's going on now, everybody's kind of doing a wait and see attitude, and I think they're going to do the same thing. Uh, you know, with 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 Track Enterprises and uh, Bob Sarge and his crew, let's let's see, let's wait and see how far they can go before, if they need to, let's go ahead and make make uh, make a change. And so I think that way they're kind of do, doing a wait and see attitude. I think the race will happen. They need it to make, you know, not only does the, the track need it to happen, but uh, Bob Sargent also needs it to happen. It needed to happen. So, and I know a lot of fans are, will be looking for it. I think it's going to be a successful uh, uh, event too. But uh, I think they're going to wait as long as they can. And the way things are opening up, I think, We'll, we'll 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 see you know what happens and uh, we'll go from there. But yeah, I think it's going to happen. Will it happen on that day on June thirteenth? I would say fifty fifty at this point. So, but I think it will happen, just not on another date. I, I, now the Harry Miller meet, which we had rescheduled at the end of that, was postponed. But that's a different deal because with the Harry Miller Club and that, people are mapping out their their travel plans, there's a lot more people traveling from farther places to go. They decided to let's just cancel this year and we'll do it next year because the other thing is, let's face it, a lot of the people that own those cars are older people. And we're for the Harry Miller Club, we also have an older demographic. So from that point of view, it was kind of advantageous for the Miller Club to say, you know what, so this year... And then we're going to go to the next year. So, and that's where you where you have a kind of a tale of two events at the Milwaukee Mile this year. I think that was a great move on their part, the Miller Club. I will let so, you off. Looking forward. You can talk to the, the pride of Florida, Eddie. All right. Well, thank you, Larry. We appreciate it as always. And we'll chat with you next week. Okay, Steve. Take care. Bye-bye. All right. That was Larry Janicek and the Great Midwest Bank Hotline. Has your passion outgrown your home? A Great Midwest Bank home renovation loan may give you the space it deserves. Visit greatmidwestbank.com today. Simply local lending since 1935. Coming up next, we'll chat with Eddie Lapine from RacingNation.com. Next on the Final Inspection Show. Final inspection show, Steve Zotke. And uh, joining us on the Great Midwest Bank Hotline, we, we're, we're going to tag team this one. We got Eddie Lapine from RacingNation.com. We're bringing back Jeff Rolowski to the show. Welcome to the show, guys. Hey, how are you Always guys? Always a pleasure. Hey, uh, and the reason why I brought both of you guys on this is because uh, I wanted to, uh, we didn't have time to do it in the first hour, but just touching base uh, once again with Matt Kenseth. And uh, of course, Matt Kenseth returning to the 42 car with Chip Ganassi racing, replacing Kyle Larson. And we don't need to get into that and the reasons, and the reasons why. But, um, you know, we had Matt Kenseth that was on the Bill Michael show. We had him on the show and we, we replayed that on our show and that. But uh, what are the realistic, uh, because he's going to be eligible to, to, to get into the playoffs, but what are the realistic. Uh, 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 expectations for Matt and how big of a, of a, 
fan boost is NASCAR going to get having somebody like Matt Kenseth back in the series, Eddie? Well, I think it's 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 big. It's it's great for him. It's great for Wisconsin um, to see him back in the car, and it's also um, it's good for the sponsors too. Um, it helped Chip with some sponsor uh, for next year, and if he does good, he could be back in the car. And so it's really a no lose situation. Jeff, what do you think? I think uh, you know if he if he cracks the top twenty on a consistent basis, uh, I think that will be successful. You know, it's going to be interesting, and and I mentioned this a few weeks ago or a week or two ago with how NASCAR is going to run, especially Darlington, where there's no practice, there's no qualifying. The first time these guys are going to be out on the track and uh, at speed is going to be when they take the green flag to start the race. You know, I, I expect there's going to be a little bit of rust and stuff like that. So early on, I expect Kenseth to kind of run around the back. But uh, as the race goes on, you know, I, I wouldn't be surprised if he uh, if he does crack the top 20. And I think that'll be a big win for him. Yeah, how big well, of a of a interest from the fan point of view? Do you, do you think, I don't Eddie? think there's going to be, you know, I don't think it'll be much. I don't think that uh, Matt Kenseth is, you know, yes, he's a former champion. However, Matt Kenseth, you know, as much as we love him here in Wisconsin, he does not move the needle. He is not an entertaining person per se. Uh, he's not a compelling personality. Uh, all that. So I don't think that he moves the needle. I think the fact that uh... Well, I think I, 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 I tend to agree with you. I, I think Matt, Matt Kenseth has a large following, but I think it's going to be for the hardcore fan that's going to be watching the race anyways. And I guess Eddie... Eddie, I guess my question for you is, you know, though that that casual fan that was watching NASCAR a couple of years ago and maybe had the Matt Kenseth T-shirt, is he going to be tuning in? Do you think uh, because is it is it because of Matt Kenseth or is it a combination of you know, hey, racing is back and we got sports back now? I'm, I'm kind of curious what's going on. Well, my feeling totally is NASCAR is really up on the wheel. I want to use that quote because. Uh, I think they have an opportunity to open the door. I mean, because really they're going to be the only sport up and running next week. And I think you're going to get the, the ratings are going to reflect that they're going to get a lot of people watching it just out of curiosity. Yeah. I agree a little bit with what Jeff's saying, but uh, again, I mean, I think when you put all these guys in the situation that they're in and showing up and racing, just go racing it's going to be who can set up your race car and work with your crew chief that quickly and he's one of those guys that could excel in that he's really good at setting up a race car and he could move through the field and run really well so i think with them all going racing next week and with the rust of the eye racing and being on a computer, I think it's going to be very exciting. I think there's going to be a lot of action. And I think 
there's going to be a lot of people tuning in on Monday after they see what happens at the race, and they're going to watch the following week too as well. So that's my take. Jeff, anything to add? No, I uh, I agree. You know, uh, yeah. Matt Kansas, he's definitely going to be a wild card, whether he's got a shake-off for us or whether he's able to just sit there and, and turn it on, on and off like, uh, you know, so many great athletes uh, are, are able to do. So, it um, you know, obviously we wish him all the luck. I just think that, you know, racing being back and being the only thing on is going to be bring the casual fan. I don't think that Matt Kenz, I don't think any casual fan is going to tune in to watch solely okay. because of Kenz. All right. Very good. I, Interesting. I, uh, J- uh, Eddie, uh, you, you have some information about uh, 24 hours of Le Mans and, and Porsche with the possibility of Porsche leaving the sport, it, no, that would be huge. Uh, well, I think with with what's going on with the pandemic, I think there's a real issue with manufacturers, as I've said in the past, um, in sports car racing. You know, because logistically, it costs a lot more to move these race teams all over the world. And an announcement just came from Germany that Porsche is only going to run two cars, which they had four entries for Le Mans, which is kind of shocking uh, seeing that they could go another direction next year and that they would want to win it and that they're looking at the financial uh, downturn of the sport right now. I mean, it's very expensive to run these cars and they're not going to, they're only going to run two. And that's big. And I think yeah. you're going to see a lot of these smaller teams. You know, I mean, Porsche is a huge, uh, the Volkswagen group and all their racing. And you had Audi that just announced that they're not going to DT, uh, do the German touring car anymore. And I think that this is affecting the manufacturer's uh, future plans for racing. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see as we progress throughout the year just, you know, how this is going to line up with the manufacturers, the sanctioning bodies, the teams, how this is going to affect them. It'll be interesting to see how that how that goes. Well, Jeff, certainly appreciate you chiming in on the Matt Kenseth stuff. We will talk to you next week. We thank you for that. And what's the latest at uh, RacingNation.com, Eddie? Well, we did a little uh, story. Me and Jack did a little story about uh, Sterling Moss. And what oh, he meant good. to the sport, and uh, people should take a look at it. I mean, he was an icon. He he died on Easter Sunday at the age of 90 years old, and he's one of the last uh, of the Mohicans uh, from that era. And he was just a huge character up until the end. So, take a look at that, definitely. All right, very good. We certainly appreciate that. Of course, Jack Webster, one of the best uh, racing photographers out there, helped you with that. And I'd like to thank uh, George Phillips from oilpressure.com for joining the show earlier in this hour. And last hour, Dennis Michelson. Make sure to check out his stuff at DMike Media. And uh, Mayor Mitch, thank you. Thank yeah. you once again. We'll you chat bet. next week. Yep, sounds good. 
You are listening to the Final Inspection Show, Sports Radio 105.7 FM, The Fan, brought to you by the legendary Great Lakes Dragway in Union Grove. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hyundai. 